Good morning, church. Um, first, you know, I, I've actually been here once before. Um, uh, I think when Andy was your pastor, and, and uh, you know, obviously you like me so much that you have a celebration going on to welcome me. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> so um, if we could just take a second, because uh, just like with the children, I need prayer, because I want to make sure I'm doing what God wants me to do up here. Um, so, Father God, um, I always only have one prayer, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase, Lord, that um, as I come to do this thing that, that uh, I've been asked to do, Lord, that I pray that uh, there would be much less of me up here and more of you, Lord. I pray that uh, it would be your words, it would be uh, your inspiration and your guidance that leads me. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified by the words that I give, Lord, and I pray that your people would be encouraged um, by those words, Lord, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, like I said, I, I was here um, a while back um, and uh, when Andy was your pastor, and, and, and now, again, I'm, I'm grateful to come back and be a help to Brandon. Um, you know, more than anything, I know he needs that. He needs that break. He needs a vacation, too, and I'm, I'm glad to come out and help there. Uh, now, I'm not a pastor. Uh, I'm just someone who helps out, um, helps out churches occasionally when they need it. So when I do get to stand up here and, and I get to do, um, when I get to do this um, here or somewhere else, hopefully I'm doing this as an act of service. I'm here because like your pastor, someone might need a vacation or they may need to take care of business that needs to be taken care of right away. So the church needs a little help. Now, when I do get to come up here and do this, I recognize that there's a weight to it. I recognize the responsibility I have to encourage you in the Lord in some way until your pastor returns. I, you know, I don't want you to give him a bad report when, when he gets back here. My hope is that by the time I'm done, I've been able to relay the good news to you. I've given you the gospel and maybe some other helpful encouragements. But to be honest, mostly the gospel. I'm a broken record that way. In all the sermons I preach, the one thing I always want to remind people of is that Christ is for you. Today I decided to preach on generosity, and the inclination with this scripture is to remind you of service, to encourage you to do good works, maybe even to give in various ways. And none of that is bad. It's, that, it's not good news. I mean, it may be temporary good news for someone you're helping, but it's not the good news. The good news is the gospel. That good news is all about receiving something even greater. So that's my conundrum today. How do I encourage you towards generosity, but still get the gospel into your hands and heart? Well, I want to do that by telling you about Luke 6, 3, 8. Luke chapter 6, verses 38. It says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I want to have you look at the scripture and remind you to give, and it's a practical, important expression of the Christian life. It's a good practice for supporting churches and ministries in our lives and for us to show love and concern towards others in a variety of ways. That's what I want you to see. But I'm also a little concerned. I'm concerned because I'm like many of you. If you've been, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you may have come across this verse taught through a, a lens of abundant living. We've probably heard preachers on TV or 
if you've attended other churches, they talk about the blessings of God running over if you're only faithful to give. Those kind of things, they take root. They seem easy. So even when we learn something better, something true, it can kind of influence our thinking. Our hearts, as, as theologian John Calvin says, are idle factories. It comes easy to us because of that other nature, the one we thought we drowned in our baptism. And I'm guilty of letting those thoughts in as well. Even today, especially when I tithe regularly, my mind immediately runs ahead to April 15th or whatever the deadline is now and wonders how much my, my giving might affect my tax returns. I'm guilty of doing something nice for someone and I start wondering and looking and expecting something back. I get caught up into it, right? that, that transactional mindset. Now, it doesn't mean God won't bless you. It's not like he's sitting on his throne thinking, you know, this guy, you know, he did a good thing. And I'd repay his good for good, but he's kind of expecting it, so I'm not going to do it. Now, when we give and expect an abundant life in return, I, I think we're missing the point. So what I need you to do, what I need to do is also remind you of the scriptures that came directly before the one I read. Now, if you go back and you read verses 27 through 37, 27 through 37, and I'm going to summarize what it says, Jesus tells you to love your enemies, do good to them, bless them, pray for them, don't retaliate against them, give them more than even they even ask of you and don't expect anything back from them. So I need to remind you of what came before because they remind us to do good for those that probably don't have any interest in returning the favor. God in these verses are training us not to expect anything back. In fact, he's telling us there are, these are the traits that we should allow him to develop in us. We don't judge. We don't condemn. And most of all, we forgive. All that goes before give and it will be given to you. Now, if there is something to be given to us, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it shouldn't capture our attention more than the previous verses that, that tell us to expect nothing. We know God takes care of his people. We know he does it in extraordinary ways. We see him, we've seen him pour water from a rock and drop sweet manna from heaven in the Old Testament. We've seen him multiply fish and bread to have an abundance left over in the New Testament. Even more, God tells us, most of all, our greatest reward is stored up for us in heaven. In fact, as we do these things, we're accessing that reward in heaven. It's a part of our lives as we live on this earth now. Listen to Luke 12, 33 through 34. It says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail when no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there, your heart, uh, there will your heart be also. God is our treasure. And Jesus opened up the treasure chest for us at the cross. We care for others as God cares for us. Hearts being reminded of God's goodness, mercy, and grace will serve others and love others. It's a reflection of God, of Jesus serving us. So maybe give and it will be given to you as a powerful reminder that God will take care of us as he entrusts us to take care of others. Maybe he uses those grand words, pressed down, shaken together, running over, to say the way he takes care of us is big and mighty and sometimes beyond our understanding because many times, especially on the rough days, we, have, we sometimes have trouble looking past the nose on our face to see how he takes care of us. 
And again, I'm just talking about me. I know I do sometimes. Maybe he's reminding us that he'll meet our needs and not to be concerned about caring for people in a transactional sense. Maybe part of the measure back uh, to us is the reminder that God is treating us as free from judgment and condemnation. Maybe he's presented a forgiveness to us that is pressed down, shaking together, spilling over, which is to say getting into every crevice of our lives, even the parts that only you and God sees, so that we know that we can be fully and completely forgiven. I, I could be wrong. Maybe I just love the concept of the gospel so much that I want to shoehorn, into, shoehorn, in, shoehorn it into everything I preach. Maybe God wants to and will bless you for doing good. Maybe he's saying, I'll take care of you as you take care of those that may never come to appreciate what you do for them. The one thing I am sure of is that he's done the most for us, and that's what should encourage us to do for others. And I just wish I could fit the gospel in there somewhere, and there's practical verses I just gave you about giving that made sense. And I'm being sarcastic, so. But I also want to remind you of Acts 20.35. It says, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want to talk to you about what it means to help the weak out of our generosity. But being generous is not just being altruistic with our finances, uh, but being generous with our time, maybe even our skills and our kind words as well as we lift spirits up where we can. We also sometimes think of helping the weak as, as those outside of the church. We give to a charity, we donate to a food pantry, and those are all good things and we should keep doing those things. But here, Paul is talking to the elders of the Ephesians church. He's admonishing the elders to be careful for themselves and also watch carefully over the flock because others will come in, wolves who will try to lead them astray. So this is, this is really a call for the church to look out for those in the church. The ones who are struggling in the faith, the ones who are maybe just learning what it means to follow Christ. And an effort is needed to bring people along, not in a harsh, dogmatic way, but with compassion and mercy. You know, one thing that social media is good for, it's really good for judging, you know, Twitter and Facebook. It, it, and it's not just people in the world doing it, but Christians do it as well. I've witnessed brothers and sisters who feel that they have an obligation to call out even the smallest infraction, often making it a larger issue than it actually is. Now the problem is, is that someone has, if someone has a wrong understanding, it's a weakness. We all have our growth spurts in the church. We've all thought one thing and learned later it was really something else, something better. I mean, a while back at another church I preached at, I, I preached a sermon on the ascension. And in that sermon, I, I, I was honest with him, and he said that, that in, early in my Christian life, for some reason, the ascension didn't, didn't seem like that big a deal to me. And I came to understand a short time later how important it was so that Christ could be even more intimately involved in our lives. I learned and I grew because I had people helping me along the way instead of judging me for not understanding. Sometimes the church can be very eager to call out wolves, and, during, and in that, the weaker sheep can get caught in the crosshairs. So we go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say? What does Jesus say how to help someone through correction, somebody weaker? Listen to Matthew 7, 3 through 5. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how do you not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In the very next verse after that, I think it's been traditionally um, used to describe when to stop sharing the gospel, which I don't know if there's ever a time to stop sharing the gospel. But they use this, I've heard it. Matthew 7, 6, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. But the Lutheran Study Bible has an interesting view on this scripture and takes into consideration the entire passage, what came before. It says, Jesus may be quoting a proverbial saying which he applies to the previous teaching. He compares his disciples to what is holy and and to pearls, and he warns that hypocritical condemnation of fellow believers is tantamount to throwing these precious persons out of the fellowship to the dogs and pigs to be trampled or attacked. Disciples thrown out of fellowship would obviously suffer spiritual harm, and the congregation would be attacked for its hypocrisy. And and to me, when I I read that the first time, it, it sounds more in keeping with the rest of the passage about how we should care for our fellow believers. It's just something to consider as we hope new believers uh, come in here and are folded into our congregation. And if I can give you one example of how that was done right in my life. Hillside Church is um, one of your sister churches. It's, it's in Succasana, New Jersey. And they were that help to us um, during the time that uh, the Manhattan Church I was a part of, Epiphany, was still active. We were a small church, we were a young church, we were a weak church, we were growing. We were desperately trying to gain a foothold in a difficult place in in New York City. In some of our weakest moments, they came in. Many of the people there helped support us financially. I I know that there were some people here that might have helped us as well. I know Andy, your former pastor, was an encouragement to us during that time. And and as the former treasurer there, I I can tell you it, it did help and it kept our heads above water. Hillside also had later on called our pastor to assist, to be an assistant to to their pastor in Jersey. That was a huge help for him and us as it provided very, uh, a lot of stability. They They hosted us at their church. They even came out and helped us in the city. Their pastor, and also I know Pastor Andy came out and preached for us, again, sharing in our burdens. And as they helped this weak little church trying to get its bearings, my pastor was able to minister to those in our own church that needed the same kind of love and and support that Hillside and others gave us. So they gave and gave, and we gave and gave to others, and in that giving, ministered to the weak and those growing in Christ. And though the doors have closed, I know the influence of Epiphany and the gospel went well beyond our walls, and even beyond this country, because of that extraordinary support from churches like Hillside and yourself that were connected to us. It's sometimes hard to see the benefit of that help that we give others, but I think that's why the scripture reminds us that it's better to give than to receive. It's hard to measure back what we do for others, and I don't think we're supposed to. We're reminded that giving is better right after we're told to help the weak. What does the weak have to give us except maybe gratitude, thankfulness? So this is another one of those times I really wish I can give this sermon about giving more of a gospel focus I wish I can use this to remind you of someone who is weak, maybe undeserving. 
I wish I could remind you of someone who was weak like that, who was given an undeserved treasure through a forgiving and generous benefactor. A benefactor they couldn't repay, even if they tried, and, and a benefactor who honestly wouldn't accept a dime back anyway. And that sounds a lot like our relationship with Jesus. Now, finally, I want to remind you of, of Matthew 5.42. It says, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Everything I talked about so far has really been about a kind of attitude to foster in your generosity. Be generous and don't expect anything back. Be an encouragement and a help in gentleness and in love. And these are both products of the gospel. This one is about who is worthy of that spirit of generosity. Who's worthy of that, that spirit that God is developing in us. Once more, we have to look back to the previous verses and understand who it is we're dealing with. Matthew 5:38 through 42 states, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And there's a lot to consider before we get to the give part gives us a picture of the kind of person we're being asked to give to. It gives us a picture of the kind of person we are as well if we ask, would we? Would we give to those kinds of people? Does anyone ever want to give to someone who's evil? According to scripture, we should be. Jesus further states in Matthew 5, 43 through 44, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now remember, I'm, I'm still trying my best here to point you to Jesus. I want you to be generous, but, but I want you to get Jesus too. Because I don't see coming into church on a Sunday as a starting off point to a week, but more as, a, as an end to a week of living out in the world, not always doing it well, we come to the Sabbath day, we come, we come here Sunday, and we have to be reminded that God is for us. And we, we all know, we've all had a first time for all of us where we understood that, that Jesus was for us. And that was awesome. To have your mind opened up to the idea that God of the universe cares intimately for you. But what were we before that? Every one of us. We were considered enemies. Enemies of God. Romans 5, 8 through 10 states, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. There it is. That's the reminder. God is for us. We were enemies of God, and God didn't repay our evil with punishment, and he didn't hold back anything. Instead, he repaid our evil with grace. Jesus gave up more than a tunic and a cloak. He gave up his life. He gave them his cheek, and he gave them his hands and feet. Go the extra mile. 
He carried the cross to Golgotha, the place of his death. While dying, he gave a begging thief paradise. He prayed for his enemies. He asked his father to forgive them. And as much as I see the parallels between this passage and Christ's journey to the cross, this is not a reminder to be ready for a similar faith. Only Jesus could have done what he did. And he did those things for us while we were still enemies. So we should be willing to be as kind to those in need, whether they seem likable or not. This is a heart check for us as well. Many years ago, uh, at another church I attended, before I met my old pastor, we, we planned a day of service for our neighbors. And the plan was to go house to house and see who needed lawn work or other odd and end jobs. It was a way to love our neighbors. It's, it was actually a good idea. Hopefully, in that, we get an opportunity to share the gospel with him. One brother suggested as we walk, we pray for God to show us who would be receptive to his message. And at first, that sounds kind of holy. But then I thought about it, and it kind of irked me a little bit. Was there a time in your life when you were an enemy to God that you were receptive right away? I, mean, I wasn't. We shouldn't be looking for easy targets for our kindness. We should be willing to help who needs help. God doesn't pick and choose who he helps. Everyone knows this, this passage. John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For he did not come into this world to condemn it, but to save it through him. And the world here, that will always mean all. Jesus helps all. And that should encourage us to help all as well. So as I close, I, I just hope in this passage today, I gave you a little glimpse of the gospel. I hope I reminded you of God's generosity poured out for us when we were his enemies. And I also hope that it encourages you to serve your church, your brothers and your sisters here, your families and neighbors, and others in a variety of ways for no other reason but because of how God served us first. Would you pray with me? Father God, uh, again, Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity to do this, Lord. I, I thank you for the opportunity to be a vessel up here, Lord, and I pray that your will was done. Lord, I pray for this church, for this family here, Lord. I pray that uh, you would watch over each person here, um, anybody that's watching on, on, uh, on video, Lord. I pray that you would bless them, Lord, and you would keep them, Lord, and you would take care of their needs, um, and you would remind them of how much you take care of their needs, and that they might be encouraged to go out and, and love others as well. Lord, I pray for Brandon. Lord, I pray that you would give him a, a good rest, Lord. He comes back rejuvenated and ready to go, Lord. Um, I pray that he's enjoying himself, Lord. I pray for the elders and, uh, here as well and, and all the, the staff, Lord, that you would just continue to bless them and hold them up while, uh, while he is taking that break, Lord. And I, I thank you again, Lord, uh, and ask you to bless this congregation. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.